This is Pastor Skip Heitzig of Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque, and I'd like to welcome you to this special edition of the Calvary Connection. Today we're dealing with an entirely different issue, and we're attacking it in a different way. It says in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Christianity, it seems, is facing a great challenge today. Now, Always in different periods of history, the Christian doctrine, the Christian faith, has always had to defend itself against false doctrine and false apostles. In fact, in the scripture, in the book of Jude, it says, contend earnestly for the faith, or a better translation would be, put up a good fight for the faith. Now, in this program today, we're going to be talking about some warfare, and it's not the kind of attack of Satan that is a frontal attack, but it's a very subtle attack of doctrine within the church. You know, in the early church, Satan tried to attack the church through persecution. It was a frontal assault. He came full bore by trying to either destroy the church through killing them or to disperse the church and scattering them into different areas to put out the fire of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of the people in the early church lost their jobs. Many of the people in Jerusalem who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior had to be scattered, and they went through Samaria and different parts north of Jerusalem. But the beautiful thing about that is that the persecution never hurt the church. In the midst of all this, the church grew stronger. The light was brighter and brighter. The more persecution, the more Satan tried to attack the church, it seemed that the church just brightened its flame and it grew. But Satan came up with a philosophy that goes like this. If you can't beat them, join them. So instead of just attacking the church from the front and frontal assault, Satan has decided to come in the church, joining the ranks of the church through hypocrisy, as you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Later on, through legalism and traditionalism, through the Judaizers that came in the church, saying that you must keep the law of Moses and be circumcised in order to be saved. But even later on, as the church was growing into different parts of the world, as churches were established all over, Paul the Apostle said that false doctrine and false apostles started creeping into the church. In fact, he writes extensively about it toward the latter part of 2 Corinthians. And he said that these are ministers of Satan who transform themselves into angels of light. So, just from the scripture, we can not only recognize, but in a sense, expect these things to occur. And they've occurred all the way from the early church, all the way through the different periods of church history, and they linger still today. The church must recognize them, must defend the faith earnestly, and seek to teach true, balanced, biblical doctrine. There was a man a few years ago, beautiful brother now, his name is Chuck Colson. He was on the Nixon administration in the White House. Of course, he was involved in the Watergate scandal. But he received Jesus Christ several years ago and has used his experience to reach many inmates in prisons all across the nation and even the world. He's written many books that have inspired a lot of us to a closer commitment to Jesus Christ. He has also spoken to a large number of churches. I'd like to read a quote of what Chuck Colson said recently. He said, quote, I have spoken of the frontal assaults and the sneak attacks. There is something worse. The enemy is in our midst. He has infiltrated our camp, and many simply no longer can tell an enemy from a friend or truth from heresy. Now, that's quite disturbing. And I would tend to agree with Chuck Colson. In fact, in the scripture, there's something that Paul told to Timothy, prophetic of our future. 
He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, I hope that you're not afraid of that word doctrine. It just means good, wholesome, biblical teaching. I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't like to talk about doctrine. Let's just talk about Jesus. Hey, man, if you don't like to talk about doctrine, you can talk about Jesus. Because doctrine is good, wholesome teaching about Jesus. And it says there's going to be a time coming when people aren't going to want to put up with good, sound, biblical teaching. But according to their own desires. Now mark that. It's their own desires here that are the motivation for what comes next. According to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside unto fables. Now, I believe that we are seeing that kind of an attack going on in the church today. That people out of their own desires, out of their desire to build their lives up, out of selfish desires, create doctrines that sound so good and they have biblical titles on them and people are using proof texts out of scriptures to uphold and to prove them. But this does not sound like the gospel of the New Testament. This is the gospel of human potential, laws of success. These are the labels in many churches and ministries today. Prosperity, total health are said to be God's perfect will for every Christian. Now, many leading clergymen are slanting the theme of their ministry in that direction. They say that our problem is not really sin, but our problem is a bad image, a bad self-esteem, that we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. Well, I would tend to agree with them that we need to see ourselves as God sees us. But we need to realize that the Bible is positive, but it's also negative. And you have to be very negative before you can be positive. I am crucified with Christ. You can't get any more negative. Nevertheless, I live. There's the positive. As Dr. Francis Schaeffer said, you can't preach a positive gospel until you come to grips with the negative aspects of it. But let me quote to you what a very famous Christian leader who has a large television and radio network all across the nation has said. I quote, Jesus knew his worth. His success fed his self-esteem. He suffered the cross to sanctify his self-esteem. He bore the cross to sanctify your self-esteem. And the cross will sanctify the ego trip. He says again, quote, I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to evangelism than the often crude, uncouth, unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. Now, folks, I hope you listen to that, because that seems to be a blatant denial of what the Scripture says. Now, here's a person using the name of God, using supposedly the same Bible that you and I are using, but preaching a different gospel. Now, we're not talking about Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses or the Unity School of Christianity and so forth. We're talking about subtle deception that is creeping into our church. Now, because of this, many Christian leaders throughout the country are now sounding the alarm bell. And that's the reason for this broadcast. We don't want to be divisive. We're not trying to be unloving. We want to speak for the truth, and we want to speak the truth in love. I believe that one of the most loving things a person can do is to tell someone else the truth, even at the risk of being called unloving. So this broadcast is actually an interview that we have done with Dr. Walter Martin in our studios at the Calvary Connection when he was out here in Albuquerque. Dr. Martin came through and spent four nights speaking about the occult and the cults. And we had him do an interview with us here in the studio and what was on his heart was concerning not as much the cults that we're facing as the cultish uh, teaching that is going on even in the church. Now, Dr. Uh, Martin, of course, is the uh, leader of the Christian Research Institute in San Juan Capistrano. He is probably the recognized expert uh, in the area of the cults, uh, probably more than anyone else that I am familiar with. And so... 
Listen closely this next couple broadcasts as we go to this taped interview with Professor Walter Martin concerning this teaching that is sweeping the church today. God bless you. Welcome to the Calvary Connection today. We're good to be with you. We have a different format rather than our normal Bible study format. In the studio with us is Dr. Walter Martin of Christian Research Institute. Dr. Martin, welcome. Hi, Skip. Nice to be here. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about Christian Research Institute, how it began, and how we can know a little bit more about it? Well, this is our silver anniversary for Christian Research Institute. We've been around for 25 years, and uh, the main function of the organization is to monitor the challenges of non-Christian cults, the occult and comparative religious groups to Christianity. And our headquarters is in El Toro, California, and we're getting ready to build the International Headquarters and Research Center in San Juan Capistrano, California. Great. Now, uh, what is the address of Christian Research Institute? I'm sure people have heard about it and they'd like to get more information. Well, if they want information, they can write to us at Post Office Box 500, San Juan Capistrano. Just write CRI, Box 500, San Juan Capistrano, California, and uh, you'll get a response. Great. Um, One of the concerns that a lot of us have had here at Calvary Chapel is not only the evil that is in the obvious cults, but that is going on in the church. Um, I have sort of a, uh, well, I have a quote here from Dr. Robert Schuller, not to um, point the finger necessarily, but what he says is very disturbing. He says, I don't think that anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has been proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise than the often crude, uncouth, and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. In other words, to tell people that they're sinners is against their esteem. Could you comment? Well, Dr. Schuler has gone on record many times saying that he will never tell a person that they're a sinner because Jesus never did. And this stems from a totally false philosophy and an anti-biblical position. Because if Dr. Schuler's philosophy had been adopted in the first century of the Christian era, the gospel would never have gotten outside of Jerusalem. They would have called an ecumenical council and made peace with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the Herodians, and then agreed to go their own way. But that is obviously not what happened. Uh, Acts 4.12, when Peter preached, he said, Neither is there salvation any other. There is no other name given under heaven among men, whereby you must be saved. He says that the Jews were cut to their heart when they heard these things. Uh, it's pretty obvious when the Lord Jesus spoke of the coming of the Holy Spirit into the church. He said, when he comes, he will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe on me. So it's pretty obvious that Christ didn't hesitate to call people sinners, that the apostles didn't hesitate, and the church has never historically done it. Dr. Schuler's new reformation of self-esteem uh, is actually what I call the gospel of gush. It doesn't <laughs> deal with anything at all where human nature is concerned. It simply assumes that uh, it's the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, the neighborhood of Boston. <laughs> and uh, if you feel bad and you have a loss of self-esteem, then you're in hell. Well, Jesus didn't teach that. Jesus wanted us to have proper self-esteem, but he wanted us to have it within the context of the redemption he was providing. And if you're not going to preach the gospel, and if you're just telling everybody that, uh, well, they can get there if they believe in Jesus and and, and cultivate their self-esteem, and never tell them who Jesus is, never discuss the facts of sin, whatever happened to the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I once heard a quote, I read a quote by uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer who said the gospel must first be negative before it's positive. I'm crucified with Christ is very negative. Nevertheless, I live is very positive. Well, Donald Gray Barnhouse used to say that before a Christian could ever become a Christian, before a person could ever become a Christian, they had to think three negative propositions before they could ever think positive. This was at the height of Norman Vincent Peale's popularity back in the 1950s. <laughs> and uh, Barnhouse said somebody ought to write a book entitled The Power of Negative Thinking uh-huh. in order to show people that the gospel is both positive and negative. Barnhouse said there are three negatives you have to think. One, I am a sinner. There's nothing positive about that. Secondly, I am lost because of my sins. There's nothing positive about that. 
I am going to hell unless I repent of my sins. There's nothing positive about that. And after you get to those three negatives, then you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, positive, and be saved. Yes. You know, it's interesting because now, I don't think you, put, you, you realize you were doing this, but you brought up something that, that I think needs to be addressed. I think we're dealing with a contemporary problem. We were talking about men of the past who... Uh, who had such incredible vision, and it seems like lately, in these last few years, we're seeing this uh, ugly giant raise its head of, of prosperity and positive thinking and all of that stuff, and it really does need to be addressed. Well, it has to be addressed in terms of the fact that the Bible does teach faith. Nobody's against teaching faith. That's biblical theology. What you're against is teaching faith for the purpose of getting something, yeah. which in this case happens to be a Mercedes, a Cadillac, prosperity, good health, and all the rest that goes along with it. And if God doesn't give it to me, I'm going to hold my breath and I'm going to you know, pass out if he doesn't give or it. Or if God doesn't give it to me, it means I don't have enough faith or it means that I have secret sin in my life. Uh, I mean, that, that's exactly the methodology which is being used. And of course, it's all based upon a false premise. The premise is that your faith is on the throne of the universe, and that if you believe it, God's got to do it. Yeah. Well, then that's faith in faith, rather than faith in God. Oh, I think it ends up that, but you've got a lot of people such as Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin and Frederick Price and Marilyn Hickey and Charles Capps and a whole group of other people running loose in the landscape who are telling every... And then none of them are theologians. None of them have any biblical background or training, whatever. They're running loose on the landscape telling everybody that uh, this is what the church has always believed. Well, believe me, the church has never believed this at all in all her history. This is a doctrine endemic to the health, welfare, and prosperity movement. And the funny part about it is, Skip, it doesn't work in Bangladesh. Yes. It doesn't work in the Philippines. It doesn't work in societies that are below the level of affluency that we would normally expect for a response. Uh, the gospel, if it's truly to be the gospel and have a biblical emphasis and teaching, it's got to work everywhere. And their teaching won't work everywhere. Hmm. I'm frustrated when I hear... You know, Paul, was, was, he was never shy about approaching the, these things, and he was never scared of, of, about uh, the possibility of, of his gospel being in error because, you know, he was, he was sure of himself, number one. And number two, he, was, he was an incredible, had the incredible ability of, of stating, uh, making a statement and, and making it stand. Is it true that you have approached you and, and – I, okay, I've heard a rumor that you and Chuck Smith have an open invitation to Mr. Copeland and, and Mr. Hagen for a debate just on, on these issues? Myself – John Warwick Montgomery, the great Lutheran scholar, uh, and Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapels uh, offered to appear, and the offer still stands, on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, and Paul Crouch tried to arrange it, I understand, where Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, and Frederick Price would have appeared and dialogued openly with us on the subject of the validity of the faith, so-called faith teaching. And that offer is still open. Whether Crouch would now do it, I don't know. But we made the offer. This is more than four years ago, mm -hmm. and they never took it up. What would, what would be their excuses for prohibiting that? They say they don't believe in uh, contentious arguments or of con in, in confrontation. But um, the truth of the matter is that uh, they cannot defend the position. Uh, the exegesis that they use, taking passages out of context, and teaching things which are absolutely opposite of classic Christian theology, would never stand up. For instance, uh, in our magazine, Forward, published by CRI. We came out with an article on the faith teaching. And in there, we set forth publicly, I think for the first time, from another position, that is a critical position, their doctrine of the born-again Jesus. That Jesus died, that he went to hell, that he suffered for our sins in hell under the punishment of Satan, that he was resurrected from the dead and was born again. Now, that's absolute blasphemy. And that's on tape with Kenneth Copeland. Uh, you can pick it up in, from their own tape ministry. You can pick up the doctrine that they're now teaching that man may become a god. And it's mm -hmm. clearly out of Mormon theology, chapter and verse. We're going to mm -hmm. be talking about that uh, tonight at Calvary Chapel. But the fact still remains that the faith teachers are going deeper and deeper into anti-Christian theology, and they are so uninformed theologically that they don't know they are into that kind of error. What's scary, though, is so many people who we've... we've Put in mainline theology. I mean, these are Orthodox Christians are starting to to you know talk these things. That's a frightening thing to me. We're seeing this happen all over the United States. Well, believing propositional theology doesn't make you Orthodox. What makes you Orthodox is the consistency of your theology with Holy Scripture. And if you deviate from Scripture, that's when you get nailed, not when you stop being quote Orthodox close mm -hmm. quote.
you know, it says in the scripture in Jude to contend earnestly for the faith and to be in a contending position, you're not always positive. Now, when you take a stand like you have, Dr. Martin, we know that you've gotten a lot of flack for being unloving, for being this and that. When you, Anytime you make a stand, you get that. What, what's been your response to all that? Well, first of all, we were the first to criticize the so-called faith teaching uh, on a large scale over the Bible Answer Man radio network, satellite radio network, also in print and on large distribution uh, audio cassettes and also on Christian television. And uh, we drew an enormous amount of flack from people who said, you're not being loving, you're being divisive, you're splitting the body. And it was necessary for us to respond by saying, show us any place beneath the writings of Hagen, Copeland, and the emerging faith movement in historic Christianity where anybody ever believed this or taught this stuff. Show us its roots, in other words. And its roots are contemporary Pentecostalism flavored very heavily, very heavily with the mind science cults. And that's where they're getting it from, and it's very, very dangerous spiritually. I was, are you familiar with this man? Uh, who is this? Foster. Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, this is a this was a, a really celebrated book for a little while called Celebration of, of Discipline, and uh, I I took it hook, line, and sinker. It was re- recommended to me by a lot of, of loving Christians, and I was reading through this. In fact, I was just looking through this earlier, and uh, there's all kinds of vis- visuals, visualization in prayer techniques that are, are taught here. Um, how you you can pray over your children, and actually, as you're praying over your children, you're you're removing all kinds of emotional problems with. with you know, it was frightening, a lot of the things that he was suggesting here. And well, this is not new to him. This sort of thing uh, has become very popular right now, ever since Ruth Carter Stapleton wrote her book, uh, Inner Healing. Mm-hmm. And Agnes Sanford wrote a lot of material. Now, neither Agnes Sanford nor Ruth Carter Stapleton had any theological background whatsoever. And they were writing purely from a standpoint of women trying to give insight into the scriptures. That's why the Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I will not permit a woman to teach, to usurp authority over the ruling elder of the church, which always was a man Mm -hmm. in historic Christianity. And you can trace a large part of this material to women Bible teachers and to women evangelists who are out there all the time teaching the Bible in direct violation of Scripture. And when they get violating scripture, and when the uh, evangelist turned Bible teacher, as uh, Copeland has, and Hagen has, and uh, all these others, Robert Tilton and so forth, when they all turn Bible teacher, then you have a right to expect of them that they have some background in theology from which to speak. They have none. And that's what's so dangerous. It's like giving a baby a loaded forty-five. The kid doesn't know what to do with it, and if he pulls the trigger, God help anybody that's in the way. Right. They may not mean any harm, but you're just as dead. Hmm. Dr. Martin, has some of the teaching of prosperity and health and wealth ever cropped up before in the history of the church? Back in the 1930s, uh, and in some Pentecostal writers, they were laying down some of the basic principles which you find today. Bosworth and Christ, the healer. you got some of the healing principles they're using. And also in some of the lesser-known Pentecostal writers. But if you're talking about beneath the 19th century, let's say, uh, I think you have a difficult time finding it in the 19th century. And uh, I'd say beneath the 20th century would be very difficult to find. When it cropped up, what happened to it? It died. And the reason it died is because people inevitably find out that no matter how much faith you have, it's God's sovereignty that determines whether or not you're healed, whether you're prosperous. And people also learn that sometimes prosperity is a pit. Because if you pursue prosperity, you can pierce yourself through, says the Apostle Paul, with many sorrows. And so what we have to do is point out that God certainly isn't against his children having things, having cars, having homes, uh, having the things that are necessary for life. What he's against is putting those things on a priority list and forgetting what Scripture says. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the greatest of all the apostles as far as I'm concerned. And he wrote in Philippians chapter 4 that he had learned in whatever state he was in therewith to be content, whether he was full or empty, whether he was rich or poor, whether he had a lot or he didn't. And if you look at the uh, list of Paul's sufferings in Corinthians, uh, he talks about being hungry, 
being uh, cast into the deep and floating a day and a night in the ocean, flogged by the Jews, stone taken up for dead. Here's a guy that went to the third heaven and saw things it was not lawful for a man to utter. If anybody has got faith, it's Paul. And these people are telling us today that even Paul wouldn't have had the problems he had if Paul had had enough faith. Now that is an arrogance beyond description. <laughs> certainly is. You've been listening to a taped interview with Professor Walter Martin from the Christian Research Institute, taped here at the studios of the Calvary Connection in Albuquerque. Dr. Martin is an expert in the field of what is called apologetics, that is the defense for the faith. He's authored many best-selling books and booklets concerning the cults and the occults, and he has a program daily airing called The Bible Answer Man. Of course, he's the founder and director of the Christian Research Institute in San Juan Capistrano. Now, we want to reemphasize that our purpose is not to put down anyone or to be divisive, but simply to carry out what it says in the book of Jude, verse 3. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. It doesn't mean we want to be contentious, but we want to put up a good fight for the faith. That's the point. The problem is that we've got a lot of people who are mediocre in their, their walk with Jesus Christ, and they're, they're seeing all of these things being said by these um, these authority figures, and they're, they're swallowing a hook, line, and sinker. They're not being Bereans. They're not searching the scriptures and finding out what they're saying. No, and also I noticed something else that takes place. Anyone that criticizes these teachers or these people, they are never responded to on the basis of the criticism. They're always attacked personally. Mm-hmm. Or ignored. You would know this more yeah. than any other. <laughs> I, I know that because I know there are churches I can't get into now. I know that there are programs I can't get on now where I had free access before. But my sin has been that I demanded accountability to Scripture. As a result of that, you are rocking their boat. And they just don't want any part of it. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, well, I have the Bible Answer Man program that gives me access to a vast audience in the United States. I get on John Ankerberg's TV show and quite a number of other shows. I'm glad you said I I'm like that show. Ankerberg's show is a tremendous show. She's supported by Christians all over the United States. It's That's one good. of the few programs where you will get the truth. Yes. Whether you like it or not, you will get it. Yeah. And John will do it. Richard Hogue used to be doing this, too, out of Tulsa. And he does it uh, on a fairly regular basis now. But what you do run into is pressure from the big guns. You get pressure from Hagen, Copeland, Oral Roberts, and when all these guys start saying, well, you know, you can't say that you're hurting the body of Christ. Touch not the anointed of the Lord. No man is anointed by God who misrepresents Jesus Christ. Oral Roberts sent a letter out stating that for $236 and change, if you sent it in to him, that Jesus had told him that Jesus would cure cancer. That is an outright lie. Now, that's all there is to it. It's a lie. And everybody says, well, don't touch the Lord's anointed. When you lie, you should be touched. Yes. You know, it breaks my heart. Is This man has built his reputation on being an incredible authority of cults all over the United States, people who were attacking Orthodox Christianity from the outside. And it seems like in this last couple of years, you've, you've had to change a lot of your emphasis. You're, you're, a lot of the things that are going on inside the church have sprung up, and it's part of your concern now. You know what scares me now? What's that? Having studied the cults for 35 years, I'm now finding them in the church. Yeah. Hmm. That's what bothers me. I used to know when I went into a community that I would have the backing of the Christian community in order to resist the forces of cultism. Right. Now, if you go in, I went in Detroit, for instance, not long ago, and I had a packed-out Presbyterian church, and I spoke and uh, lectured on one night on mind science cults. And uh, in the question period, somebody said, um, what about Dr. Robert Schuler's views? Uh, do you have any comments on that? Now, I hadn't lectured on Schuler. That wasn't my intent. So I responded with some quotations on what Dr. Schuler did, uh, such as originally renting the Crystal Cathedral to the Church of Religious Science for a fundraising uh, gig. Well, he repented of that, but I mean, good grief, how could you ever let them in there to begin with? Never mind repenting of it afterwards. I mean, nobody was minding the store? 
that you would let people in your cathedral who deny the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the atonement, the resurrection, and the second coming, and the Bible is the word of God, and you rent it out to them? Who's watching the store, see? Uh, who's watching the store when you're uh, distributing through your bookstore A Course on Miracles, which is right out of the world of the occult? Now, they don't do it anymore. They don't recommend it anymore, but they were doing it then. A lot of these things, they changed when I started to scream publicly uh, about what was going on. Uh, I also had a meeting with Dr. Schuler and talked with him and prayed with him. And Dr. Schuler was conducting seminars along with Norman Vincent Peale for the Unity School of Christianity, which denies all the foundations of the gospel. Dr. Schuler wrote to me. I have his letter. He would no longer conduct those seminars. And Dr. Schuler is back conducting those seminars right now, teaching cults how to raise money so that they can oppose Christianity. And that's done in the name of evangelism. Now, you've got to be out of your gourd to believe that kind of stuff. Yes, I am getting a lot of flack. I'm getting it from inside the church, and I'm getting it from outside, too. But anybody that speaks prophetically, Chuck Smith spoke out against the discipling movement and the uh, shepherding movement a couple of years ago yeah. in an innocuous little pamphlet. I mean, it wasn't any great attack. He didn't intend it to be, but it was a very incisive criticism. I liked it so much, I asked permission to reproduce it and distribute it through CRI, and Chuck graciously did that. Uh, he caught flack on that that you wouldn't believe when he wrote on Charismania. He got flack on that. Anybody that speaks in the evangelical field or the charismatic field and even constructively criticizes the excesses of these brothers is automatically blackballed from the club, cut off from the media, and since there's no accountability in media, since they don't answer to anybody, why, they have the most effective censorship program outside of the Soviet Union that exists. Dr. Martin, was Jesus ever confrontational? He was not only confrontational, he was at times combative. Uh, when he confronted the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, read his woes on the Pharisees. Read his woes on the lawyers, those, those religious leaders of the day. Read his condemnation of the people he referred to as a generation of vipers, uh, as open, uh, as invisible graves that men fell into, as whitewashed sepulchres filled with rotting corpses, uh, calling them the children of the devil and sending them to hell in terms that couldn't possibly be misunderstood. Now, that's combative. And these brothers want the Jesus that's always kissing the babies, the Jesus that's always giving the Sermon on the Mount, the Jesus that's always talking about the wonderful Christian life that can be led and the abundant life that he came to give us. They don't want anything of the Jesus of judgment and of authority and of doctrinal teaching. They want none of that, whatever, because that's going to interfere with their theology. None of the Jesus that overturned tables. Because oh, no. You can't have a Jesus who overturns tables and flogs people because that's not loving. But th these people will taste his whip someday. I mean, let's face it. The awful part about it is I don't want them to. Right. I don't want the men in positions of leadership in the so-called faith movement to be disciplined by God. I would rather that they repent of what they're teaching and what they're doing, make a clean breast of it, and then return to preaching the solid gospel without all of these aberrations. I believe we should have a means of calling to accountability people who appear on national radio and television and represent the gospel. Our listeners would say that there's a that they don't have the ability. You're a man of, of report, so you could approach Robert Schuler and call him to repentance. They don't feel they could, but I know that you wouldn't agree I with did that. it, but it didn't get anywhere, <laughs> you see, and I have the, I have the, the correspondence to prove it. Uh, I have gone to the brethren and uh, tried to reach them. You send them letters, you send them telegrams, you make phone calls, and somebody recently wrote Kenneth Hagin a letter and said, I understand that you had an opportunity to respond to Walter Martin uh, on so forth and so on. He listed the the offer that we had made, uh, Montgomery, myself, Chuck Smith, and TBN. And he responded and says, well, he doesn't believe in confrontation. He doesn't get involved in things like that whatsoever, you see. But yet, they'll go on national television, and they'll knock the naysayers, as they call us. In other words, if you don't say yay, that whatever they say is scriptural, you are a naysayer. That's the new phrase which is used to automatically put down anyone that disagrees with them. And as uh, far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, you do have to say nay sometimes to some things. That's right. Dr. Martin, Paul spoke that in the end times there would be a, the apostasy. Do you see this as part of the great apostasy? Well, I would let you make a judgment on the basis of Matthew 7. 
Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you dressed as sheep. Inwardly they are savage wolves. You will know them by what they produce. Then he went on to say, The false prophets will prophesy in my name. In my name they will cast out demons. In my name they will work miracles. When I meet them, I will say, I never knew you, workers of iniquity. Now you look around you today in the entire evangelical and charismatic world or in the entire world of Christianity and tell me, where are the people who are preaching and prophesying in Jesus' name? Where are the people who are using his name in the casting out of demons? Where are the people who are working miracles in his name? And where are the people who are giving false prophecies and perverting scripture? And you will find them right in the heart of the church in the charismatic movement. What do you see on the horizon for the church? I see disaster. Uh, I see total disaster in the light of scripture. I see an ever-growing and widening and deepening apostasy. I see the statement of our Lord coming to pass. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? If you know anything about Greek, you know that the answer is a negative. In other words, it's going to be awful hard to find the faith on the earth when Jesus comes back. Why? Because it's going to be diluted. It's going to be perverted. The church is going to be an apostasy. And there will be deception such as the world has never known before. Now, whether you're a pre-tribulationist or a mid-tribulationist or a post-tribulationist, doesn't make any difference. The end of the ages ends in disaster. And the only thing that can save the church from that disaster is that blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a disservice to our Christian brothers not to prepare them for persecution, not to prepare them for the end times apostasy, because it's already here. Look at your major denominations. The Episcopal denomination went down the tubes in the 1940s. The Methodists went down the tubes in the 1950s. The Roman Catholic Church is fighting for its life right now just to maintain the authority of the Pope on matters of doctrine. The uh, Congregational Church went a long time ago. The major theological seminaries of the denominations apostatized a long time ago. There are men on the faculties of virtually every one of these seminaries that deny the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, salvation by grace, and the uniqueness of Christianity. Now, if that's not apostasy, tell me what is. I belonged to the American Baptist Convention at one time. It got so bad in the ABC that it was an open joke. There were conservatives, and there were liberals, and it was everybody else. Why? Well, because there was room in the ABC for everybody. No, there isn't room in the Church of Jesus Christ for everybody. There's room in the Church of Jesus Christ for believers. If you're not a believer, get out of it. And if you're not a believer, get into it. But become a believer. Don't collect salary in seminary. Don't teach in Christian colleges subsidized by Christian monies of the past and endowed by Christians who wanted the gospel to continue in those institutions. Stop playing word games in your teachings and in your churches. Stop ordaining men to the ministry who deny basic biblical doctrines. You can be ordained in the Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, Episcopalian churches today and with mental reservation deny virtually every major doctrine of the Christian faith and you can get away with it. Now do not tell me it doesn't happen. I see it all the time. I'm a seminary professor and I teach in a Christian law school. I have lectured on hundreds of campuses all over the United States and around the world. I can tell you with a great degree of authority that even some of our Southern Baptist colleges and Southern Baptist seminaries, and I'm a Southern Baptist minister, have gone this same trail. And that's what we're fighting for right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, to preserve it from the inroads of liberalism. So now with a, with a uh, script like that, based on Scripture, that we will move toward darkness at the end of the ages, how can one be optimistic except in preaching the gospel while we've got time, defending the gospel against its enemies because it's a command, and waiting for Christ to deliver us from this madhouse. And probably the most loving thing we can do is to tell people the truth. If we don't love them, we won't tell them the truth. If it's peace at any price, if that's our motto, then we won't tell them the truth. And that shows that we don't, don't love them. You can have peace today in the evangelical and the charismatic world. I can tell you how to do it. First of all, hear no evil, see no evil. Speak no evil, criticize no one, confront nothing, tolerate everything, and above all else, raise money. That'll do it. <laughs> raise all kinds of money with all kinds of stuff. Well, Dr. Martin, I don't want to close this show. <laughs> I really don't. Dr. Martin, I really appreciate you being here today. 
Thank you. It's a good opportunity and a great time to be here in Albuquerque. I've enjoyed being at Calvary Chapel. The Lord is really blessed with the meetings and the response and also the radio program and KKIM. I thank God for the many Christians that listen to the Bible Answer Man program. And I urge you, be in prayer for us because Bible Answer Man program and other programs like it, and there are a few of them, are the only real voices of dissent we have in the Christian world and shows like the John Ankerberg Show. Dissent against the idea that everything is going well and that there are no problems and that we should all just uh, forgive and forget and go your own way and don't get upset about what's going on. Well, that's a disease. I call it non-rockabotus. And we had better start rocking that boat pretty quick. It's true. We'd just like to remind you that uh, the address for Christian Research Institute is P.O. Box 500, San Juan Capistrano, California. You can write there for information, for tracks, and we appreciate your prayers for Dr. Martin and his ministry. God also, bless. if you if you're interested in the this uh, AIM, then we'd like you to to follow through with that. And if you'd like to get a hold of Calvary Chapel too, we'd like you to because we want to pursue that as yes. an organization. And so yes, we're going to be behind it. And uh, as soon as this gets off the ground, we'll have more information on it. God bless you, folks. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Connection. This is Gino Geraci on the Calvary Connection, and we're in studio with uh, Pastor Skip Heitzig from Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. Skip, in concluding this two-part taped interview with uh, Dr. Walter Martin, there are a few questions and a, and a few comments that I that I know that you have for our listeners. Skip, what was your experience in Southern California with this doctrine? Do you see a difference between what's happening there and, and here with this teaching? Well, I think that not necessarily differences in it. I don't think it's really a localized thing, and I don't know that it really stems out of one particular area or another. I'm sure there, there are hotbeds where this thing is bred and then it spreads to different parts of the country and the world. However, um, I think that it has come from different parts of the country, and I really don't want to name you know, the churches and the people necessarily. I know Dr. Walter Martin had the liberty to do that on the broadcast, However, it is interesting to me, as the saying goes, that it seems that error travels on the wings of an eagle Mm -hmm. and truth travels on the back of a turtle. It seems that truth is harder. Let's do the whole thing again. You know that question is hard. Well, California. You know what I'm going to do? This is Gino Geraci on the Calvary Connection, and we're concluding our two-part taped interview with Dr. Walter Martin. We have in studio Pastor Skip Heitzig from Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. And Skip, we've seen this doc. This is Gino Geraci on the Calvary Connection. We've just concluded our two-part taped interview with Dr. Walter Martin from Christian Research Institute. Now, in our studios, we have Pastor Skip Heitzig from Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. And, Skip, there are a few things, a few questions that we have, and I'm sure that there's a few things on your heart that you would like to share uh, with our listeners. Now, we've seen uh, this problem and this teaching spreading throughout the United States and affecting the church. Recently, we had a pastor visiting from China who indicated that this teaching was even appearing in China and the Soviet Union. Is this a teaching just for here, for the whole world? No, Gino, I think that it's not a teaching just for here. I think that this uh, doctrine and doctrines that are akin to it are spreading to different parts of the world. Um, There's an interesting saying that I really like, and I think it, it bears out a lot of truth. It says that error travels on the wings of an eagle, but truth seems to spread on the back of a turtle. That is, false doctrine can spread quicker than truth many times which is prophetic. The Bible says in the last days that uh, men wouldn't give heed to sound doctrine, but they would heap unto themselves teachers. They'd have itching ears. They'd want to uh, hear these doctrines just for themselves. I know the pastor you're referring to that came and spoke here, and I think this doctrine is spreading all over the world. However, it doesn't work as well in China and India and Bangladesh as it does in uh, Great Britain, the United States, and affluent countries. Mm-hmm. You see, you can't preach the total health prosperity doctrine in these countries. Um, I know, because I was traveling in India with a guy who was preaching it. 
-hmm. He was preaching it from the pulpit to a thousand evangelists, pastors, and teachers from all over India. And he was starting to uh, say, number one, that Christians can be demon-possessed. Number two, he was teaching that uh, they should have uh, total health and have a lot of prosperity. And these Indians who give their lives out on the fields day in and day out, who know what it's like to encounter real demon possession, who know what it's like uh, to be rich in Christ, yet not rich in the things of the world, came up to us afterwards and they said, Brothers, this is false doctrine. Mm -hmm. We have heard this come over to India before, but it doesn't work. It's not biblical. Now, these weren't preempted by us. Or we didn't prompt their coming to us and telling us that. But it was unanimous. They knew that it was false. They could spot it right away because all they have over there is the Bible. They don't have a lot of these books and radio shows and television shows. All they have is the scripture and they know better. Now, if you could point to one major biblical area that this doctrine undermines, what would that area be? Well, I think that the one area of the scripture that a lot of this teaching really undermines, as you have said, is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. The scripture teaches that God is sovereign. That is, he is in complete control. He initiates and inaugurates his action independent uh, of his creation. Not that God doesn't act according to our prayers, but how this teaching undermines it is this. This teaching basically says there are certain laws that God has put down. God must respond to this law. God must act if I have faith. If I do this, God must heal. So God is no longer God. He's the God who is subject to the law. He becomes a Sears catalog. He becomes a puppet. We are controlling God to our advantage, although we say many times it's according to the will of God. But that takes away the sovereign hand of God in moving. God can do anything he wants to do, and God sometimes chooses not to heal us. Paul was a man of faith, wasn't he? Paul uh, was caught up into the third heaven. Paul was a man of many miracles. In fact, he says, the signs of apostleship were wrought in me. He says that in Second Corinthians. Yet he prayed for his thorn in the flesh three times. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't taken away from him. In fact, something better, Paul said, than healing came to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, many of the teachers who are teaching this particular doctrine, our listeners will say, but Skip, there's a lot of good things that they're doing. What about all of the people who are healed, all the people who are saved in their ministry? What about the fruit from their ministry? And, and how can you come against these people in such a an insensitive way and undermine their ministry? Gosh, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up. I think a lot of these men, I think most of all of these men, are not trying to you know, undermine Christianity. I think they love Jesus Christ. They love God. And I love them. Mm-hmm. The issue is not them. The issue is the teaching that comes from them. And I think they're doing a lot of things. Many people are coming to know the Lord. Uh, Their ministries are certainly expanding into uh, homes and into areas where people need to hear the gospel. And I commend that. And it's like Paul said in Philippians, I rejoice that the gospel is being preached. Now, he didn't endorse the people that were uh, preaching the gospel in falsehood, but he said, I still rejoice the gospel is being preached. So I rejoice the gospel is being preached, Gino. However, the end never justifies the means. Just because someone is doing great things and... um, uh, out there doing the work of the gospel, if they take basic, fundamental Christian doctrines and rewrite them, they have no right to do that, and they need to be accountable. Mm -hmm. And if they have the right in this country of free speech to speak false doctrines, then we have the right to go on the air and correct them biblically. The issue is not the person again. I love the people. I pray individually for Christian media, both television and radio. I pray for the individual people that Dr. Martin has mentioned that are in this book by Dr. Gordon Fee. I pray for them. I love them. We're in the ministry together. But I think when you get young Christians who don't know the Bible, they're awfully confused many times as you'll have one program on who says one thing and then 30 minutes later another program that says another thing. Now, as far as what you said, they do a lot of good things, there's just a little bit of error in them, Gina, would you go on an airplane to London, England, or to Africa, or to Switzerland if the instrumentation was a couple degrees off? No. You'd, it, it, what, what if the over the uh, 
a speaker in the airplane. The pilot says, now, we are welcoming you aboard on this flight. However, we have a small, minor detail. I'm sure it won't bother anyone. And that is, our instrumentation is slightly off. We think we know where England is, but, but you know, we'll, we'll, we're sure we'll get you there. Well, you'd be a little bit upset at that. You wouldn't want to just nonchalantly kick back and fly in this aircraft unless you knew where it was taking you. Mm-hmm. Much of what they say is right. The danger is mixing error with truth. At first, you can take off and it seems the same, but you follow it far enough mm-hmm. and there's dangers. You now, say, well, what dangers are they? Well, if you tell people that they always have to be healthy and they always have to be wealthy, if they go out and claim those things and if somehow they don't get wealthy or healthy, they live under condemnation and frustration. And they come and call the pastor and they say, you know, I tried claiming this all week long, making these positive confessions. But I'm still feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel guilty. There must be sin in my life or I must not have enough faith. And I have personally spoken to, and I know you have too, to people who have uh, believed these things and ended up in frustration. Right. Now, what about the frustrated listener who says, well, Skip, how can I believe that God will heal me, period? What, what even about the biblical teaching of healing? Does God heal today? Oh, yes, God heals today. I've been instantly healed. I've had hand la- hands laid on me one time, and I was instantly healed. I've had hands laid on me before, and all I did was get germs from the hands. I didn't get healed. So what I'm saying is that it's not a magical formula. God heals. The power of God is still present within the church by the Holy Spirit to heal today. But he does not always heal every Christian every time, nor is is it his will to always do so. I think we should come before the Lord. We should bring our requests boldly before the throne of God. If we're sick, we should have hands laid on us by the elders of the church, according to the scriptures, the anointing with oil. Pray in faith, asking God to do it. Mm-hmm. and then leaving the results to the holy God and speaking the truth. If we're healed, say, I'm healed. If we're not, say, God has something else for me, or he will do it later on, or whatever. I think we should bring our needs to him, but the results are left to the sovereignty of God. What you're saying is we should have faith in God and not faith in faith. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, are there specific things that the listeners can do to research the areas that, that both Dr. Martin and yourself that, that you've discussed on the on the broadcast and maybe there, a little more information. Basically, you need an open heart, a willing mind, but a discerning heart and a discerning mind. I like Acts chapter seventeen verse eleven. Paul said concerning the Bereans, they were more noble or fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the things that Paul said with joy, but they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. I encourage anyone who's listening: never let a person or a ministry, do their thinking for them. Let them search the scriptures on their own instead of just blindly following what someone says, including us, including, I tell this to the people in our church here, not to just blindly follow us. There's a couple good books. One is The Disease of the Health and Wealth Gospels, written by Dr. Gordon Fee. Dr. Gordon Fee is a Pentecostal theologian. Um... He says so in his book, his booklet. He is the professor of New Testament theology at Gordon Cornwell, or excuse me, Cornwell. Gordon Conwell University uh, Theological Seminary in Massachusetts, and uh, he does a very good job of balancing the true doctrine of healing and prosperity with the unbiblical teaching that is going on. He does a wonderful job of it. Also, there's a book called The Seduction of Christianity by Dave Hunt. Uh, that is, I think, a very good book. It's very informative. It does step on toes. It does hurt, but it won't hurt 